Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate and from the world of economics. Today is no exception. We have, in fact, an awesome guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. One of my friends in the real estate space, Rod Cleef, is hosting another one of his live events in Denver, May 17th to 19th, and it's all about multifamily investing. I've been a guest on his wildly popular podcast. If you've never been to one of his events, you've got to go, and I highly recommend you do. I've got a discount code that will get you 100 bucks off the ticket price. Go to rodsbootcamp.com and enter the code ESPRESSO at checkout. That's rodsbootcamp.com and enter the discount code ESPRESSO to get $100 off your tickets. We are back here on the Real Estate Espresso Podcast. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing and from the world of economics. We've got a great guest today, all the way from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the show, Peter Schiff. Well, thanks for welcoming me. Peter, you're known for looking at what's happening in the marketplace, predicting, extrapolating into the future, what you think is going to happen. You're the host of the wildly popular and wildly unpopular Peter Schiff show. Popular in the sense that you've got a huge following. Sometimes the message isn't popular. And uh, just tell us a little bit more about the show. Yeah, you know, I've got my fans and I've got my detractors. I mean, sometimes when I put out a podcast, well, I also put it up on YouTube, my YouTube channel. And usually right away, there's all these thumbs down. Like even before people have a chance to listen to it. So there's actually people that sit around waiting for me to post a new podcast so they can immediately say they don't like it even though they haven't heard it yet, so they don't even know you know, whether or not they... They just know, well, if I said it, they're not going to like it. Uh, but, but fortunately, most of the people who listen to my podcast actually like listening to it, because otherwise they, they wouldn't listen to it. But yeah, you can listen to it. Shift Radio is the actual website where I host it, but you can listen to the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, any of these places that you can listen to podcasts. You, know, you can also uh, check them out on YouTube, although I haven't been doing any video content with them. So if you watch it on YouTube, you're not going to see anything. It's just a screen with uh, you know, a still image of me, but you can also you know listen to it uh, on, on on YouTube, and so people should definitely you know make a habit of uh, listening to them. And if you subscribe, obviously you'll get a notice because they, they're not on uh, at a particular time. I mean, for a while I did the Peter Schiff Radio Show, which I did five days a week, two hours a day, same time every day. And so I don't do that anymore. I just kind of, whenever I feel like it, I just record one and post it. So just get subscribed to it or, you know, and then you'll get an email or something. It's, oh, there's a new one up and you can come listen to it. Certainly a lot of stuff going on in the monetary markets. Some very interesting words coming out of the Federal Reserve Chairman over the last couple of weeks at the Senate Finance Committee. And I'm concerned. I know you're concerned. What are you seeing right now? Well, what I'm really seeing is the Federal Reserve basically doing exactly what I've been forecasting they would do for years, you know, uh, going back to even before the Fed started to shrink its balance sheet or the first rate hike that we got way back in December 2015. I said that if the Fed ever tried to normalize interest rates or shrink the balance sheet, that they would fail, that somewhere along the way, they would have to abort the process because I knew that they had inflated a massive bubble and the fuel was 0% interest rates, quantitative easing. And if the Fed tried to withdraw that stimulus, the bubble would pop, right? They had built this phony recovery on that foundation of cheap money. And if you start to chip away at the foundation, then the whole thing would implode. And what surprised me is, A, they were able to continue the process or the charade as long as they did before they had to, you know, fess up and, and call it off. But also that 
the vast majority of investors or, you know, just the political commentators or, you know, academia or whatever, the media, financial press, they still don't get it uh, because they still look at, well, something happened uh, in the global economy. And as a result of this unforeseen event, now the Fed is patient or pausing and calling off the hikes. But if it wasn't for these factors, they would be continuing to raise rates. They would be continuing with the balance sheet reduction. And that's not true. The fact that the Fed did this was inevitable. And they're just making up excuses because they don't want to admit the truth. Because just like you know Jack Nicholson on A Few Good Men, they know the markets can't handle the truth. So the last thing they're going to do is tell the truth. Uh, so they're making excuses. But, you know, what I've also said from the beginning is that the Fed would initially just give up on its, um, you know, plans that it, to uh, normalize rates and shrink the balance sheet. And that when the Fed initially gave up on that, based on a adverse reaction in the markets or the economy, that the initial result would be some relief rally, which is what we've got. Remember, the, we entered a bear market in U.S. stocks in the fourth quarter of last year, and the U.S. economy, economic data started weakening, and then the Fed came to the rescue by you know, taking away the, the, the source of the problem, at least the perception of the source, and the markets responded with a, with a rally. But I said that that rally would be short-lived, uh, that ultimately just stopping the rate hikes would not be enough because the damage was already done from the rate hikes of the past. It doesn't matter if they hike rates in the future. What they've already done in the past is too much. Um, and so the economy, which was built for 0% interest rates, now that they're two and a quarter, uh, doesn't work anymore. I mean, it's like if you... Uh, are a drug addict and you you know take a certain amount of drugs and your body builds up a tolerance and you require a certain dosage of this drug in order to be high and now all of a sudden you know your dosis is cut back and your body's like not going to react so it's going to start even going into withdrawal even though you're still getting some drugs you're just not getting enough and that's kind of where the U.S. market is now. And I think that we're going to roll over into recession. We're going to, the bear market's going to resume and, and hit new lows. And then the pushers, right, the monetary heroin pushers at the Fed are going to come back and, and give 0% interest rates again. And they're going to go back to quantitative easing. But I think that's going to be the overdose moment because then I think the world is going to figure out what they should have figured out a long time ago. Uh, which is that this is QE infinity, that the Fed is trapped at zero, uh, that the debt is going to grow in perpetuity, and that means the dollar is going to collapse and inflation is going to run out of control, and this whole party is going to come to an end with a dollar crisis and a U.S. sovereign debt crisis. If you look to Europe, over the last couple of years, while the U.S. was raising interest rates, the European Central Bank kept rates down to zero. We've now seen France is in recession, Italy's in recession, UK's in recession, albeit for different reasons. The European Central Bank, they seem to be out of bullets, and now they're saying we're going to print some more money. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, that's going to work until it doesn't. And in fact, it doesn't work. Uh, that's why they always have to do it again and again, which is the definition of insanity. Uh, but, you know, these central bankers, they only know one thing. And so they, you know, 
they keep doing it, right? I mean, they only have a hammer, so everything is a nail. Ultimately, this is going to stop because what was providing the cover for this policy is the fact that consumer prices are not rapidly rising. I mean, they're rising at least the way governments are measuring them in Europe and the United States. Consumer prices are not rising more than 2% a year, at least in the Eurozone. And in the U.S., they're rising a little bit more. Uh, but in the Eurozone, uh, they're still rising at annual rates below 2%. But once the rates move up significantly above that, well, then they can't do this anymore. Unless they're going to try to change their mandate. In the ECB, they have to keep inflation below 2%. Um, and I don't see that changing. So when it's 3 4%, they got to fight it. They can't just say, we're going to accept it. We're going to tolerate it. So that the rates are going up. And then, you know, the piper is going to be paid. You're a big proponent of gold. And, you know, one of the things that is not talked about in a lot of the public markets. It's almost like gold is restricted to the lunatic fringe these days, unless you happen to be in Asia where all the major governments are investing very heavily in gold. What would you say to the small investor that is out in the middle of the ocean like a cork in the water? What would you say to them about the importance of holding gold? Well, I guess if you're in the middle of the ocean, maybe it's not as important, but if you're in society and you're transacting and you have savings, then gold is uh, very important. Um, and people are going to find out how important it is when they don't have it. That's going to be the problem. So you, you want to understand the importance of gold before you need it, right? It's like what they say about guns. I'd rather have a gun and not need it than need a gun and not have it. Uh, and so when you need gold, you better have it. And so it's okay to have it while you don't need it. Uh, because when you do, I mean, if you don't, then, then it's too late. And gold is real money. Gold will be there in value when all else collapses. I mean, people right now are accepting paper money, fiat money, instead of gold because they have confidence in its future value. But that confidence is just perception because there's nothing tangible or real behind it. There's no intrinsic value in the dollar or even any of the other fiat currencies. So it's all a question of public confidence, which can easily be lost. And when it is, well, then what do you need, right? You need to have real money. And so I you know, advocate that everybody uh, store, uh, you know, gold, have, you know, that's your savings, you know. And, you know, their interest rates are so low now. I mean, they used to say, well, you know, if you keep your money in gold, you're missing out on all the interest that you can earn on your money. Well, there's really no interest. The interest rates are very low. And most people have to pay taxes on their interest anyway. So that takes a small number and makes it even smaller. Uh, so it's really not there. And if you look at the annual cost of living, even the, the, the rate that the government acknowledges, you can't really make 2 or 3% after tax interest on your savings now. So your, your interest is not even going to compensate you for the loss of value each year due to inflation. So there's really no reason to have any long-term savings in cash. So that should be in gold. I mean, you can make investments that have higher yields, you know, where you can make maybe 8%, 10%, 12%, but just keep money on deposit in the bank makes no sense when you could just keep gold in your vault. Uh, and so people should do that. The pitfalls, though, of course, if you, you know, when you go to get physical gold is if you talk to some gold company and they talk you into buying some numismatics or some collectible coins because some salesman convinces you that the government's going to confiscate certain coins, but these ones won't be confiscated or, you know, that's all bullshit because all they're trying to do is, is mark up the products and sell you something where they make a lot of money for themselves. Uh, you know, not you. So you want to buy as much gold as you can for the money, meaning you want to buy gold 
cheapest to the spot price as you possibly can. And, you know, that's if you, you know, looking for a reputable dealer, my company is Shift Gold, shiftgold.com. We don't sell any of those numismatic products, not because we wouldn't make a lot of money selling them. We would. It's because I know that there's no reason to buy them. You know, I mean, and they're not bought, they're sold, right, by, by salesmen that want to make a lot of money. Um, but, it, you know, we sell bullion coins, bullion bars, uh, low markups over spot. So pretty much almost all the money you send me at Shift Gold is going into gold. So it's staying in your pocket. We're making maybe a percent or so uh, for brokering the transaction, which is very, very small. Uh, so, you know, we make a small fee, but hopefully we make it up by doing a lot of volume because we give people a good deal. So shiftgold.com uh, is uh, the website and you can also, you know, look, get the phone number off the website and, you know, so gold, silver, good ways to go. What else are you recommending for people apart from precious metals? For people, too, who want to have a, a, a broader portfolio, not just your gold and silver, right, which is your store of value, but if you want to make higher yielding types of investments and you want to steer clear of the potential you know, minefields in the U.S., which I think you should do, and you want to open up your investment horizons and look at owning stocks and bonds around the world uh, in countries that I think are going to come through this next crisis in much better shape than the U.S., and looking at some of the assets that are likely to not only retain their value, but grow in value and give you even higher dividends denominated in foreign currencies, then contact me at my asset management company. It, it, it's Euro Pacific Asset Management, uh, Euro Pacific Capital, Europac.com, E-U-R-O-P-A-C.com, or you can go directly to my mutual fund website, EuroPacificFunds.com. I manage five mutual funds, so smaller investors can just invest directly with me through my funds, directly off my fund website, or contact me, speak with one of my brokers at the broker-dealer. I handle managed accounts, brokerage accounts, uh, and I think this is very important for people to be prepared to not only preserve their wealth, but to try to profit uh, from uh, the events that are going to be you know, playing out over the next several years, which I think will be far more disruptive uh, than 2008. So there's going to be a lot of money lost, but there will also be a lot of money made if you're positioned properly. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you for the wisdom. I've learned a ton this week. For the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Peter at shiftgold.com. Have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 